Ho, ho, ho. Hello. Rise, guys. Rise, gals. It's a very special Christmas week. Merry Christmas episode. Boy, oh boy. I don't know what time of year you're listening to this. Oh, Rise, yeah. guys you're and right. gals. They might be listening yeah. to this at Christmas. That's true. It may be completely apt. It's both frustrating and exhilarating that we can't control the timeline on which people digest this. I think it's wonderful. I think it's exhilarating, ultimately, but... We put it out there. Digest it as you will. This means that this is going to become a classic, a holiday classic. This podcast episode? <laughs> yeah, we're recording We're recording an audio version of Elf right now. <laughs> That's a pretty high bar. What if we're recording an audio version of Yogi Bear's First Christmas? By the way, this is Mad About Mad About You, where we talk about Mad About You every week. Your and weekly a- Mad About You recap podcast. Bunch of other stuff. Bunch of other stuff, occasionally. And we My are- name is Russ Fader. Oh, and I'm John Marbley, and we are doing episode, what, 11? Episode 11 of season one. Called Met Someone, aired on mm-hmm. December 16th, 1992. It's the Christmas. Getting into the time of the season. That's Christmas week. What were you doing Christmas of 1992. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I was in Ohio, I guess. Well, look, okay, here's something. <laughs> Mad About You doesn't really have Christmas episodes. This is the closest they get, if I remember correctly. Ah, I didn't rem- I don't remember at all. Yeah, I went looking. Oh, um, good for you. Doing that uh, extra, a little while uh, ago. Yeah. extra legwork there. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're about to do a Christmas movie or a Christmas episode podcast of this show. But if you want the best folks in the world at doing recaps of christmas fair you got to listen to the jingle friends oh jingle sure. friends podcast i was on an episode they are three wonderful hilarious comedians sarah Catherine, zach kaplan and carrie griffin and they are great and they're switching up their format a little bit right now but they would re- review a different christmas episode or christmas special or christmas movie every week no matter what time of year so we only hope to do half the job that they do but that being said yeah i looked into it and this is the only christmas episode of the show what's your favorite christmas memory john uh, you can make one up i don't know man christmas memory i can make one up I don't John, know. I don't, I don't care. I don't really care. I mean, I'm not. I'm, I'm being I'm, nice. I'm not going to lie to the listeners. Okay. Let's see. Uh, oh, boy. You really put me on the spot with that. You know, I've had 32 Christmas. Well, let's say 28, I remember. Sure. That's a lot. There was that time that you were in that tower and you took your shoes off is and then a, everything went crazy. Is that a reference to some weird movie? Well, it's a reference to Die Hard. Oh, which, uh, taking the shoes off is a big moment, huh? It kind of is, yeah. Wait, is it? Because, look, I... Is that a big yeah, I'll moment to everyone or just you? No, no, to everyone. I'll be honest. I have not seen Die Hard, which is crazy. But I do know that, yeah, at the beginning of the movie, he says, he's like, uh, I've got this stress. And somebody says, got to take your shoes off and knead your toes into a shag rug. And so he does that. And then... That's right. That's Alan Rickman handy. and all the terrorists show up. Uh-huh. And so then he's got to do the rest of Die Hard barefoot yes so that uh, is basically true very very true 
I guess you're right. Very true. So many crazy things happen that I move past the shoe thing. Though it does recur. Every time there's something crazy on the floor, it's like, oh, boy, do I wish I had my shoes. I remember when Bruce Willis said that. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy, do I wish I had my <laughs> shoes. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've had a lot of good Christmases all over the place. Once on Christmas, we flew to Paris, like home alone. Oh, wow. Though I was upset at the time because I was a kid and I was like, why are we flying on Christmas Day? <laughs> and then once we got to Paris, I was like, oh, I see why. <laughs> it's pretty cool. This is nice. Yeah. I had Christmas in Bombay once, I think, visiting my family. Wow. I believe. I remember Christmas decorations, at least. Once, when I was in high school, I tried to make like a really Christmassy Christmas, you know, where you try to do mm-hmm. something nice. And I, I was mad and miffed because I, I ran for student council nonstop and never got anywhere with it. I was, uh-huh. a, I was a disgraced non-politician. I was a never was. <laughs> So I took I took it upon myself to organize a little, you know, like Christmas like turkey meal for the local homeless in the area. And then I got the oh, choir well, that's to, really nice. got the school to pay for it a little. And then got the uh church to give us their ovens to bake the turkeys. And then got the uh Look at you. Our choir to sing for them. Oh, and got the foreign Holy buyers moly. club because this was in Japan, so like it was hard to get like American turkey. Like because the the yeah. loaves were easier to cook in the ovens, you know what I mean? The turkey, mm-hmm. like the Genios. So got them to pitch in, and then never did a nice thing for anyone ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. You you blew it all on one perfect day. Listen, that was only 11 years ago. Oh, (laughs) man. That's so, ugh. Oh, that's not right. I like that a lot. More. (laughs) Yeah, more than that. I love that story, you big monster. You do things for people you like. Or not like, but I mean, you know now. You know what I mean? Yes. Now well, it's you, good to do uh, it for everyone, your... but like, that's all. Yes. Now you focus your charity energy primarily on friends. I guess so, right? When you're in high school, you have a little more time. and That what you used to do for the good of humanity and the betterment of your fellow people. Now it's just like, oh, well, yeah, if I know you, I'll do you a favor. Sure. Yeah. Back then, though, I used to be a real monster to everyone that knew me. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. What are your favorite Christmas memories? You know, I was and am Jewish. And so, but it was weird because I had family members who were Catholic. And so they would come over. My whole family would come over on Christmas Day and do a big meal and exchange gifts. And it would be for him. But we still did it all the time. Him being Jesus Christ? (laughs) Sorry, him being my grandfather. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) Wait, was your grandfather... <laughs> my grandfather was one of the <laughs> aforementioned Catholics. Was my grandfather Jesus? Yeah. I mean, in a way. Yeah, sure. That was always a weird thing. Did That that probably didn't get out by you. There was a time period wherein if somebody would exclaim, taking the Lord's name in vain, and just go, Jesus Christ, people would go, yes. And I'm like, that's a weird joke. Yeah. I'm like, that's... Yeah, I hate you're that. You're missing joke. the mark here. Yeah, I'm like, I hate to note you on, on your joke writing, but uh, this doesn't cut the mustard. <laughs> but yeah, so we would always do a big, you know, we would have Christmas on Christmas. And then I think I hit college and I heard the term Jewish Christmas. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, of course. Everyone talks about it nonstop, especially when you yeah, live in New Jewish York. Christmas, yeah, for those of you who are out of state, Jewish Christmas, it's Chinese food in a movie. Yep, on Christmas Day. 
On Christmas Day, yeah. And I'd hear that bandied about. Just, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, well, we did Jewish Christmas. And I was like, what are you talking about, Jewish Christmas? Jewish Christmas is Christmas. So I'm you Jewish. grew up Jewish on Long Island and never heard of Jewish Christmas? I grew up in one of the five towns on Long Island that is not predominantly Jewish. Oh, you grew up in, like, an Everybody Loves Raymond town instead of uh, any of the other towns? <laughs> in- yeah. <laughs> instead, of an, instead of an Everybody Doesn't Love Raymond town? Yeah. I see. Fascinating. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm the opposite um, a little in that my grandmother's Jewish, but was a Christian religion-wise, but was raised Jewish. You know, like our family still came from Ukraine as Jews in the early 1900s. Yeah. And we would yeah, have, yeah. we would always celebrate Christian holidays, but we would always have Jewish foods. So it's almost the inverse so, of how you grew up. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We're quite the pair, John. Yeah. Oh, boy. Speaking of well first things first please summarize bring us the the tv guide tv guide it's gonna take the tagline two yeah. seconds because it's so concise paul shows initiative I... what <laughs> no i was gonna say i'm gonna time you on the two seconds but go uh, ahead don't <laughs> i will not paul shows initiative and jamie exhibits resistance in a flashback episode about the day they met I'll tell you, that's concise. That may be too concise, or that's too vague. It's not too vague for a TV description. All it needs to communicate is, like, a general sense of what it will be so you can decide if you want to watch. Look, it's going to take us about a little more than three years for us to finish this show. By the end of it, I want you to come in here and be like, Russ, I got a new job. Guess who's writing for TV Guide? No, it's impossible now. Are you kidding? They don't even do it. But back then, you didn't need this that much information to know if you were going to watch a show. I thought you meant you couldn't. It's impossible now because they've got too much dirt on you, and all they have to do is Google you and find this podcast and hear how you fawn over them, and they'd, you'd just be too embarrassed to even have the job. You have a complicated relationship with what dirt means. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got the goods on them. Apparently, he's been singing our praises all over town. <laughs> The question is, when do we release that information and sync them completely? (laughs) (laughs) What was on TV that night? What am I watching while I'm wrapping presents? Well, I can direct your attention to CBS, where Ronald McDonald Family (laughs) Theater has a Christmas special on, John. Wow, what was it? They aired on CBS's Ronald McDonald Family Theater. Uh Uh-huh. The Wish That Changed Christmas. Okay. This was an animated feature. Never heard of it. That I watched at work today. (laughs) Um, It was based on an old story called Holly and Ivy. And Ivy is an orphan. Is that like Thelma and Louise? No. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the end of this (laughs) Christmas special from Ronald McDonald Family Theater... The end of it has them driving off into a canyon, <laughs> but it's got Ivy the orphan and Holly the doll, and it's the story of Ivy the orphan. She's at the orphanage, and the person in charge of the orphanage is like, well, you uh, you can't stay here. You have no place to go, and it's Christmas Eve, and Ivy says, I've got a place to go, my grandma's house, and the woman in charge checks a paper and goes, no, no, you don't have a grandmother. How does she know that? Well, because she runs the orphanage where Ivy is. But the orphanage has no room for her. It's true. And so they say, you can't stay here. We're going to send you to meet your grandmother. She doesn't have put one. You on a train. They're going to put you on a train alone. What? Yeah. They this, put her on a train. This special stinks. Alone. And say, take it to the last stop. 
Canarsie. And here's a present for you. Yeah, thank you to Canarsie. Exactly. <laughs> What's the present? I'm not sure what the present is. I don't remember. Maybe I'll remember as I do this. But Ivy fogs up the window. She draws a face in the in the glass. And she says, this is me. And she makes a wish for a grandma and a doll. Oh, here we go. It's big. And then we cut to Holly the doll. And Holly comes to life. Yeah. And she's alone, too. Okay. All that she wishes for is a girl to take her home. Oh, well, done. Perfect. Yeah. Where does and she live? Evil, she lives in a toy store. How did the girl have the doll? This is a different doll. This is not unrelated to the girl. This is separate. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, this is the story of how they come together. I see. I see. Oh, I didn't know. I see. Yeah. So there's an evil owl doll voiced by Jonathan Winters. Oh, people like yeah. him. You do not? No, I just don't, you know, sure. for whatever reason, it's just one of the guys I don't connect with when I watch the old videos on Ed Sullivan. Okay, that's fair. Thank you. He does a lot of yelling. I believe his name is Hocus Pocus or something like that. Mm-hmm. But he's like, you're a Christmas doll. After tomorrow, nobody will want you. And so then the narrator of this story trips a cop. Uh, he trips him over over the cord of the power cord and the bulbs on the tree spell out Merry Christmas to Ivy and Ivy sees this and she gets off the train ahead of her stop. Great, great. I can't quite tell what the dramatic arc of this tale is. Well, here it is. Ivy wants a doll and a grandma. The doll wants to be owned by somebody. Sure. And then there's a woman who's just like the cop's wife is like, oh, I want this tree. And the cop is just like, I told you, we don't have children. So why would we have a tree in our home with no children to enjoy it? So at the end of this thing, the doll winds up at the house. Ivy winds up going home with the cop. Ivy's like, hey, would you be my grandma? And she says, sure. And then a little boy brings her the doll and the doll winds up together and they all wind up uh, family. So don't watch The Wish That Changed Christmas. Well, I don't think it's we need to. It's uh I think we all got a pretty good idea now. You know, there was a time when I used to just say there was bad television on <laughs> and we would and that would be enough. Yeah. And it was fun. And and we all moved on with our lives. <laughs> now I'm watching these things. Yeah, you've gotten very I'm far making in. big mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, you want to too re- deep on I, this one. I gotta think about how I handle things. Sure. In the future. Life is finite. Yeah. You're 100% right. <laughs> I'm watching and reviewing a television show that I genuinely enjoy. Why would it be like, oh, but you know what else is, oh, you know what else I do? I watch some real dreck and talk about that, that I don't need to. At least Hat Squad's kitsch. This is just, oh. I don't know what this is. This made Hat Squad look like Die Hard. <laughs> so it's similar to Hat Squad? <laughs> <laughs> What happened in the in the in the world, John? Well, I read a book about each article. That... <laughs> so, book one. No, let's see. A lot of a lot of similar stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. To, to usual, a lot of people uh, got dead. <laughs> they shouldn't have done that, as they say. There was one headline that I loved because it was so it was it was like such just a New Yorky '90s headline. Dinkins yeah. plans to meet Jews on tensions. <laughs> done what else Boom. we got oh vitriol is an or- is order of day an alan farrow case oh that sounds intense yes sir woody allen and mia farrow are in court right now and we don't need to get wow. into it i think we all know what happened sure but uh needless to say the court was tense oh woody 
and they exchanged barbs. That's interesting phrasing when you're talking about a comedy writer. I know because it sounds like uh, I gave you one barb for another barb, like a just like a quip. Oh, know? I thought you meant like uh, two old ladies named Barb. Wow. Okay. <laughs> no, John, I didn't mean that I gave you two old ladies named Barb. Dateline. Don't you dare interrupt <laughs> me embarrassing you about thinking about Barb's with a dateline. Go I'm not, ahead. I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> it's a weak joke, but it makes sense. Ex-head of Chinatown gang is guilty of leading drug ring. A man described Whoa. as a former head of a major Chinatown gang called the Fly... The, the specifics in here are so great because it's literally like an old crime movie. The gang's called the Flying Dragons. The defendant, Johnny <laughs> Ang, is known as Onion Head. Stop it. Nope. I'm assuming by his friends. <laughs> but, but I don't know. The prosecutor said the Flying Dragons, with more than 100 members, engaged in heroin trafficking, loan sharking, and gambling operations, primarily in Chinatown. I mean, isn't Holy that great? Moly. They were smuggling heroin I in. I love it. In boxes of tea and stuffed animals from China. Like, wait until dark. The Audrey Hepburn movie where she's blind is about heroin? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's what they're, they bring a, a doll filled with heroin in. Oh, that's why everyone's trying. Yeah, and that's why, I see. Oh. Sure, sure, sure. He imported more than 400 oh, you pounds of... see? You say you see and wait until dark? Real nice. Anyway, go ahead. Did I say? Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I see. She can't. Anyway... <laughs> Good. That was totally worth it. Continue. <laughs> Mr. Ang was found guilty of charge. Blah 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 blah. Gleefully, the prosecutors told the story, which the defense attorney denied, that Mr. Ang had been so hopeful of being acquitted that he ordered a special Peking duck dinner to be prepared for his release. A dinner canceled by the verdict. Wow. I mean, can't you just see the duck sitting there unattended yeah. to? I love it. I sure can. This was a weird correction in a story about, uh, basically, this was a weird story. You know, it was one of those profiles about New York where they just talk about a rich person who who has an interesting life. And this woman lives in, like, oh, lives in Mayfair Towers. We know Mayfair Towers, right? On West 72nd Street. I feel like that's a recognizable building. Probably. She has 500 neighboring apartments, and she would write up little movie reviews and hand them out. <laughs> this, rich, this rich divorcee. This was her life when she got divorced That's and left. a pretty good way to be. Left the suburbs. But there was this weird addendum in the story that says, in response to a recent column reporting that teenagers were buying, wearing, and sometimes sucking on baby pacifiers, several readers wrote to say that all that happened first in France. The French called them totoches or something, and they began to appear there in late 91 and have become a full-blown craze with more than 15 million sold. And apparently now inner city neighborhoods in well now then inner city neighborhoods in New York started like <laughs> took this up. There was that I remember that. Are you serious? In New yeah, there were a handful of kids when I was in high school who would walk around with pacifiers around their neck. That's so weird. And uh, yeah, lots of times I think it was an ecstasy thing in school because oh my gosh. It was probably like, I'll wear my pacifier to school, then after school, I'll do some ecstasy, and my pacifier will be right here. Oh, it's like a signal. It's not like the pacifier has drugs in it. Right. I remember not, there was not a... not even a signal. It was, you know, I believe you... I can't remember what effect ecstasy has on the either salivary glands or your drop. I think you get lockjaw or something like that. Oh, so you like, need a pacifier to keep your mouth. your mouth moving. Yeah. 
wow. Yeah. I had no idea you were such a drug, a font of drug. A knowledge. font. They call me Russ the drug font. <laughs> so. uh, oh, I am stepping in a left and right, aren't I? I had a long day. No, I, lo- no, I love that. I'm going to run with that for real. Listen to this. Do you remember this? After the storm, Long Island, almost 3,000 homeless in a North Shore town. Say that again? Do you remember this? There was a slew, like huge, it sounds like what we now call like Hurricane Sandy. In 1992, December, on the North Shore, as the tidal surges moved from east to west, they smashed over seawalls from Orient Point to Manhasset, isolating Eaton's Neck, Lloyd Neck, Center Island, and Bayville. (laughs) I don't remember that. 19,000 residents without power. Jeez. Yeah, man. 3,000 homeless. They got hit hard. Boy, what a disparity between North Shore and South. How big, how far apart are they? There's only two shores. It's not like there's really much of a middle. There's no middle ground. Yeah. How could you not be aware of this? Well, it was also 10. Fair. (laughs) I was too busy reading about ecstasy culture. Yeah, clearly. That's all the news that's fit to print from 1992. Love it. Well done. John, I love this episode of television. I mean, so did I. I it might be I, my fa- so far it might be one of my favorite episodes. So here's the deal. We don't curse on this show. Correct. I'm breaking that. I'm breaking that. We're gonna bleep it. Because John, I love the Buckmans. Okay. Love as a couple? And I yes, as a couple, individually, they're the greatest. Okay. I'm I'm happy for you. I was so happy. I mean, it took watching you them in this episode. It's funny. It took you seeing how they meet to feel that way. Yeah. Well, look, we, no, I always. You know, we spent them. most of every episode with them for the last ten episodes. I always, yeah, but lots of times they're annoying, or at least some. Well, no, yeah. I mean, I can see it was nice to see different sides of at least Paul. Yes, we got different sides from Paul. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And of watched, course. Yeah. No, I was going to say I watched the interview that they did with Paul Reiser and Helen Hunt about this episode. Did you watch that? Oh, no. I had a crazy day. Okay. I didn't even know it was on there. Shoot. It, it was. It's okay. It's like maybe 10 minutes. They don't say a whole heck of a lot. Oh, Mostly okay. they just say that it was really nice to have this written because, you know, for the beginning of the show, they don't know how they got together because that's what happens in this episode. Paul and Jamie meet. And yeah. so now they have this official shared backstory, shared history. Sure. You know, this became canon and uh, <laughs> it was the official backstory for the rest of the show. You're right. <laughs> I mean, you're right. This is like literature, John. I know, yeah. That's a big word choice for what this is. But I guess you're right. Yeah. The six it's facts that we learned the about you universe. <laughs> yeah. That is true. This is a definitive episode. Yeah. As you would want, it was directed by Barnett Kalman and written by Paul Reiser and Danny Jacobson, just like the pilot. So yep. get the old team back. Yeah. The heavy hitters. Yeah. The captain. So we start off we start off this cold open and it is clear that we are flashing back to nineteen eighty nine. 1989, and Paul is at a newsstand, a good old-fashioned New York newsstand. And we're Mm -hmm. not going to set this up and not have me look at the news from December 1989, are we? Good man. (laughs) I meant to look up what was on television and forgot to. Paul Newman donated a quarter of a million dollars to the New York... Apparently, the New York Times had this charity I didn't know about called the Neediest Cases Fund. Really? Yeah. 
they would sort of like flush out and find like New York's neediest cases and then just help them. Wow. Yeah, isn't that wild? Yeah. I wonder good what happened. New York Times. The death of the press, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, and then this is some good old fashioned. You think 92 was bad. Remember 89? Oof. Let's see. Metro matters. Even the nuns have to carry mugger money. Oh, Sisters no. who wear their habits. They've been broken into 14 times since August 1, Bishop Sullivan was saying. The little priest, he's about five foot one. We had to move him. He was mugged three times, and he only had a dollar on him the last time they robbed him. So they beat him up pretty good. A knife was held to a sister's throat. She had two bucks on her. They made a decision among the sisters to each carry $10 in their pockets. So if they got mugged, at least they might be able to. They'll let them walk because they can get two fixes for 10 bucks. Also, that's how Bishop Sullivan talks, which is like he's in a David Mamet play. (laughs) Like, what an urban bishop. Little priest, about five foot one. (laughs) We had to move him. Mugged three times. We had to move him. Held a knife to sister's throat. Yeah. This guy's saying we had to move him. I'm wondering, (laughs) did they kill this guy? Yeah, right. I don't (laughs) I had the same is that a Catholic euphemism? Is that a euphemism? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, oh, Somehow uh, I'm picturing him on a payphone on the other end talking to Robert De Niro. Yeah, in right. Goodfellas. Yeah. Just being like, uh, well, uh, he's, he's gone. Yeah, uh, he, we don't have him no more. And yeah, then Robert right. De Niro just beating up the phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, smashing the the receiver on the uh, payphone thing. Yeah. Some priest walks into a room with plastic all over the walls. Oh, no. And gets shot. Great Joe Pesci. I appreciate it. Oh, no. What else you got? Rampant drug abuse and record murder toll compete with 911 calls and budget freezes. Oh, my God. <laughs> a perfect storm of complete and utter chaos and blood. There's a new police commissioner in town because Dinkins just got elected a few weeks ago. Congratulations, sir. Everything's going to go terribly. <laughs> yeah, so this guy, he, he appointed this guy, Lee P. Brown, who was in Houston. He worked for a long time, then Atlanta, where he got a serial killer. Okay. And now he's in charge of the New York uh, Police Department. But listen to these crazy numbers this poor guy had to face. And he could have been a monster. I have no idea. As an indication of the dimensions of the city's drug problem, Mr. Johnson said last year's 90,000 narcotics arrests, one of every three arrests. The, oh, this isn't even what I wanted to read, but that's a lot. Hold on. <laughs> that's just a lot. Let that sink yeah. in. Let that sink in. That's fine. Yeah. Holy cow. Man. But they compare uh, Houston to... The Houston numbers to New York, the overall crime statistics of the city are equally daunting, officials said. New York, which has a population of about four and a half times that of Houston, recorded 725,000 crimes last year, including a record almost 1,900 murders and 86,000 robberies. Houston had 179,000 crimes that included 440 murders and 10,000 robberies. So the population's four times and the crime is worse. Like, well, it's on par, if not worse. But it's just, it's the same amount of air, of space. Maybe less. I don't know how big, you know. Yeah. I mean, that's madness. That's a lot. So Mr. Brown's got his work cut out for him. And we're not going to find out how yeah. he does. Because we're, we're living three years past this. Oh, also, yeah, that means they got married, what? They dated for uh, like two and a half years? 
Yeah, three years. Ish, yeah. give or take. Interesting. Yep. All right. So Paul is buying a Sunday Times. Mm-hmm. And the guy. It's the last one. It's the last one. It's Sunday nights. It's got a tear on it. He's got that little joke about Murray. So you guys got a copy of Curb and Hydrant for my little friend here? Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> I wanted to know who the guy behind the counter was, but he doesn't speak, so we didn't get a credit. They probably didn't give that. Yeah. He was Sorry, such a character. Guy. You did great. You did great. Yeah, I mean, he looked the part so well. Crazy For hair, sure. old crazy white hair, glasses, thick glasses. So Jamie comes in to this news. Well, you know, walks by this newsstand searching for the Sunday Times. Right. You still have the Sunday Times? Last one right here. Thanks. Hey, hey, what are you doing? My parents' obituary is in here. Oh, did you find it? Uh, both of them? It was an earthquake. <laughs> really? Beams hit them. <laughs> Beams. It was very fast. The ground just swallowed up their house. <laughs> what? But nothing. She's so aggressive when she wants the paper. It's yeah. like classic Jamie. She enters at a 10. There's the one moment where Paul looks at her and you can tell that he is interested in her. Yes. And I was going to say but, but not even but. It's it's because of the way that she behaves. Do you think that he thinks that her parents are dead? I think initially he does, right? Probably. It, in, uh, it seems I so sincere. That's right. And also, yeah, the next day he looks in the uh, obituaries. Right. Just to be sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But also if someone's parents just died at the same time, you would give them an allowance of like not making sense. But if you sure. were born and raised That's in New York, true. you would be pretty cynical and not buy anyone saying that kind of... I, it's, it's complicated. It is. He's clearly struck. Yeah, he likes her. Yeah. And she likes him, too. It's funny that the biggest, most yellow receipt I for was dry cleaning say that, that I've too. ever seen... Yeah, because she drops... Falls she, out of her bag. <laughs> she, she, she runs off after she gets the paper from him, and she drops her dry cleaning bill, and it's this... The brightest, biggest yellow ticket in the world. Yeah. It's like she a, drops an oak tag sign out of her wallet. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's just this must be some nice strike noticed. cleaner. Uh, well, must you know. Be. Interesting. I bought that. Oh, I did too. So, yeah. Jamie tells him that her parents died and that's how she winds up getting the paper. I mean, it doesn't uh, even. Paul decides. What? Doesn't even what? What were you going to say? It doesn't even what? Makes sense. Because. Nobody gets in the New York Times obituary section just because they died in an earthquake. Like, to get an obituary uh, in the Sunday Times, you have to be, like, the most well-regarded anything in your field or die a horrific death, in which case it's not really an obituary. (laughs) It's just a story. It's just a story. That's true. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't matter. I don't like this episode anymore. (laughs) That was my goal. Thanks a lot. Yeah, sure. I also love um, that she comes in lying immediately. Like, it's clearly right. a tactic yes, she employs. That is a lot of fun. A lot. Which we've already seen her do in yes. past episodes. Yes. Like, lying to the lady in she the dressing room good. about the lights. Lying uh-huh. to Mark and Fran about uh-huh. the aquarium. Yep. She's a good liar. She's at that spin, baby. Good thing That's she's in the she PR. Does. It is. So, Paul takes the receipt, and we know what he's going to do. Mm-hmm. And then we, we have our opening. Yeah, which and then we are. Russ did not look different. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, the opening looked pretty. No, I think you're right. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I I I'm not sure if they went back to it or what the deal is. Yeah, I think they must have um, gone back to it. But it was back to the original version. So. Even with Clinton Gore. Even with Clinton Gore. Yeah. Yeah. I slowed so it down and went back. Every single thing I said. Yeah. 
Oh, I won't. I'll hold it over you for the next three years. <laughs> I know you will. We go to riffs. We go to riffs. We cut to Paul and Selby. Selby's Selby got a ponytail. Has a ponytail. Now, this, in my opinion, is the kind of costuming and hairstyle choice that is so dramatically awful. This could get you written off a show. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Are you saying this could get you fired as the person who came over with the ponytail? Are you saying if you have to wear the ponytail, you're a victim of getting written off the show? I'm saying that if... Or are you saying Selby said, I need a ponytail? Yeah, I think Tommy Hinckley went in and said, hey, you know what? To show the passing of time, I think he's got a ponytail. And they said, I don't think so. I don't know. And he said, no, do it. I'll stake my job on it. And they did it. And we'll see what happens is all I'm saying. I didn't care much for the hairstyle choice. But I mean, I think you're wrong. And I could, right. I could well, one of us is right. One I, of us is wrong. We'll see. I we'll see how it turns out. I gotta disagree more. I think it's a very subtle, tasteful, smart costuming choice. The whole show's like well, that. No, I, this whole episode is like that, I think. Well, no, I think you're just being contrarian. No. I think there's tremendous restraint shown. Everything is so real in this episode. And it doesn't take advantage of any of the like you know, there's small moments here and there that make fun of like the fact that it's eighty nine. But they're few and far right. between. Yes. They didn't really wedding singer it. Where, right. Uh, they didn't do too much of that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. But I also like how they're like, oh, Jamie's got her hair different. And Selby has a ponytail. Yeah, a little and, different. Yeah, a little different. But like all these things. And Paul is just like, oh, I've got a big shirt. Well, yeah. I'll wear a sweatshirt. Everything else is exactly the same. I mean, Men's fashion crazy. doesn't change. I mean, he probably looks like so, that when he was a kid. You know what I mean? That's true. He was always that cool is what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Paul's looking for the Stumpel obituary and he can't find it because it's not there. Mm-hmm. And Selby's mm-hmm. looking up movie times for them. And this, yep. this is one of the moments they take advantage of the fact that it's 1989. For sure. Driving Miss Daisy at Cinema One. Sure. How about she dip? I hear Roseanne Barr blows Meryl Streep right off the screen. That Roseanne joke is great. Have you seen either one of those movies? I saw She-Devil a long time you ago. You did? Yeah. And Roseanne and Meryl yeah, Streep are it, in it? Yeah. Oh, that's so weird. I didn't yes. know they were in a movie together. It's the classic Roseanne Barr, Meryl Streep two-hander. Sure. <laughs> yeah, it's like waiting for Godot. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's, I, I don't think it's good, probably. I, I, I watched it when I was a kid. Hey, it might be. I don't know. It might be. I've never seen Driving Miss Daisy all the way through either. That I saw. That is good. Oh, I'm sure it is. I saw parts of it, yeah. and they were very satisfying, even as a kid. Yes. Uh, so Selby, we learn he's got a girl coming to Riffs, and mm-hmm. she's bringing a girl from mm-hmm. Ball, which is, yeah. uh, is something and I've never experienced in my life, but seems to have happened nonstop in the 90s and 80s. Everybody fixes everybody up all the time. All the time. Yeah. In real time, too. It's not like, oh, you two should go out. It's like, oh, my friend's bringing a friend. <laughs> this is happening yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and we learn Paul's uh. overdating. He's just dating stinks. He's not into it. Mm-hmm. It's uncomfortable. Blah, blah, blah. Like, he says you can know yep. in the first 10 seconds. Yeah. If you're going to hit it off. First date should be 10 seconds. After that, you're just watching each other eat. Oh, uh, which is great. Because that's, I mean, we've it's all really been on fun. those. And Selby says, dating's an adventure. Yes. That's where he's coming from. So his girl comes in wearing a hat, just like Jamie mm-hmm. used to. Yep. The and girl doesn't say a word. Yeah. She just leans over Paul and starts making out with Selby. <laughs> really funny. It's great. And she's played, her name is, uh, her character name is Dana. And she's played by Catherine Spitz, 
who mm-hmm. seems like she retired right after this. <laughs> she, oh, no. Oh, really? No, no, no. She, she worked through 95, and then it seems like she retired. She did a show called A Peaceable Kingdom. I don't know what okay. it is. It says CBS. It has to do with the zoo. And the poster on IMDb, just the slogan for the show is, her life is a zoo. John, I knew you were going to say that, so I watched the first six episodes. <laughs> so I didn't know you were kidding we until you said six. For real. <laughs> and I do think you are going to go watch it now. David Aykroyd is in it. I wonder if he's related to Dan. I think he is. That's crazy. Uh, I know I know. there's another Aykroyd who either writes or wrote or something. Oh. He, he worked on Nothing But Trouble, but I'm not sure if that was Peter. The name I, Peter Aykroyd I is mean, coming uh, in, but it could be yeah. I don't know. Also, I don't even know if this is really how you spell Aykroyd. You know what I mean? I mean, I don't know what you mean, but... Uh, well, I guess what I mean is sure. I don't know if this is how you spell Aykroyd. <laughs> It would be impossible for you to click on that hyperlink to find out any more information on this person. But also, you shouldn't do that because who really cares? Absolutely. I don't. And I Googled her, and I don't know, this landscape architecture firm came up. So maybe that's what she's doing. Who knows? There you go. Good for you. Yeah. Maybe she has her own business. Uh, Her friend is standing there, sort of temporarily a bit. Well, not abandoned. Very cool. Taking her coat off. John, I noticed that you called her her friend. Ah, yes, I did. What an excellent choice of words. Sure. Her friend Karen, Mm -hmm. played by an actress named Lisa Kudrow. Lisa Kudrow. Who, let's see, she was in, she was on Oprah. She comeback. (laughs) She was on Tonight Show with Conan (laughs) O'Brien. I don't know for what. Talking about this? <laughs> she was on A True Hollywood Story. Wow, this cameo really got her a lot of traction. <laughs> she was on a show called Friends. Huh. You know what's weird? What's weird? Well, she takes her coat off and sits down, and Paul and her talk for a minute. Mm-hmm. Hey, you ever, you ever go to uh, Lombardo's dry cleaning? I don't think so. Because <laughs> it's on 3rd Avenue, 3rd Avenue, 54th Street. I go to 14th Street cleaners. Live near 14th Street? No, I live on 13th Street. Yeah, you happy with the job they do with your clothes there? Oh, yeah. Yeah. 14th Street Cleaner is great. Al Pacino has an autographed picture in there. You know, Paul makes movies. You're kidding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. That's so funny. I work at a bank. Oh, yeah. So don't you feel like... Because we all know Lisa Kudrow plays the waitress at Riffs later, named Ursula. Right. But don't you feel like this character, Karen, is, like, exactly Phoebe Buffay? I thought it could have been Ursula, because Ursula and Phoebe are pretty similar, too. I wasn't sure until they mentioned her name is Karen. Oh, they couldn't be more different. You think more? "Mm, That may be true. (laughs) I think Ursula is spacier. I think Phoebe is more deliberate. Trying to determine whether Phoebe or Ursula are more spacey may be the textbook definition of splitting hairs. <laughs> well, for example, like when Karen <laughs> thinks, uh, like reacts to that bank, to him being a filmmaker, and she's like, <gasps> oh, yeah. what? Like that's such a Phoebe moment to me and not an Ursula moment. Like Ursula's yeah, just yes. like wrong and confused mostly right. because she's in her Fair own world. Enough. Phoebe is actively in the world in her own weird way. I heard her deliver that line, and I was just like, that got her this part. Because I'm like, there's not even a joke there. When she said, I work in a bank. Oh, my gosh. And it got such a huge. Maybe. Yeah. 
What a bizarre choice to make, though, out of nowhere, then. She's so smart. The character description is I mean, she is. She's she's amazing. I wonder if there was something in the character description, though, that was like, this girl's off. Oh, because also the dialogue. You know, the dialogue from the 13th, 14th Street thing? When you read that, you're like, okay, she's a little nuts. But then... That's fair. I guess we'll never know. I know that we'll never know. (laughs) So the next scene, uh, we're in Fran's office. Mm -hmm. And Jamie is... As we know, Fran's assistant. It's weird. It's weird, right? It's fun. It's really weird. It's Fran's like bossing her around. It's like Fran's like, hey, did you check with legal on this thing? Yeah. But of course, Jamie's all over everything. She's She's on top of everything. She's She's done everything. She's doing more. Yeah. It's also fun to just see two female executives in the, well, I mean, I guess it was the early 90s, but you know, the late 80s. No, absolutely. Like that's unusual. Yeah. You don't see that a lot. No. And the only only men... You, yeah. you, there was nine to five. Right. There was working girl. And then there was this scene. Right. And working girl, I guess working girl. Yeah. But working girl is like, there's still a status thing between the women. Yes. And this one is just like, they're just colleagues and they're working together and kicking butt. Yeah. I don't want to go too far off topic, but I saw working girl for the first time, I think a year or two ago. I really liked it. Oh yeah. It's a great movie. It's really good. A real good. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you get chills. Mike Nichols knows what he's doing and. Just great performances top to bottom. Oh, Indeed. So oh, yeah. Go watch good Working Girl, guys. Watch uh, Working Girl, everybody. Oh, so we know it's two days till Christmas, and Jamie just got dumped by her ex-boyfriend named Ted. can't believe Ted dumped me. It's my own fault. All the signs were there. Our first date, I watched him pick a caraway seed out of his teeth with an American Express card for 20 minutes. Ted. That caraway seed specific is so weird and funny to me. Yeah. Do you know what that is? What? A caraway seed? seed? Yeah, it's a kind of seed. Well, I looked it up, and you're going to love this. Am I? Yes. In the traditional European cuisine, caraway seed is one of those dominant spices featuring in several savory dishes. Strongly aromatic. I I feel like Fran. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Caraway seeds, they are as old as... I feel like Paul... No, but guess what? It comes from a, <laughs> a plant's family what. that includes commonly known herbs and spices such as dill, anise, fennel, and cumin. Oh, my gosh. Which makes me feel Loves like it. someone on the staff is obsessed with spices and keeps working them subtly into the show. I think that people get things caught in their teeth all the time, and that's the joke. And then you looked up what it was and made a cumin connection that wasn't there. No, I think the human connection's there, and I think this thing is a lot bigger than you think. Hashtag human connection? Follow the seeds, people. <laughs> this goes all the way to the top. <laughs> <Of> the... <laughs> well, no, because Caraway is so specific. You could just say, watch him pick a seed out of his mouth with his Amex. That's funny, too. But a Caraway seed. No, it's not. Yeah, a Caraway seed is funnier, and it has the K sound, which is funny inherently. As oh, we as we know. know. <laughs> From Sunshine Boys, right? <laughs> This Sunshine is why we're Boys hosting. And also King of the Hill. Oh, are you kidding? But you know both. No, I know both. Sunshine Boys the... is great. That scene is so funny. I don't know the King of the Hill reference, but I feel like Sunshine Boys is very specific. And <laughs> it's funny that we yes. both. <laughs> My brain went there immediately. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. I, this is why we're hosting a podcast together, I guess. You're not wrong. It <laughs> works. <laughs> oh, we also, she she's criticizing Ted, and, like the mama's boy thing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I got news for you. That's who you're about to marry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a little bit of dramatic irony. 
Oh, sure. A very little bit. So little that it, it almost passes you by. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. Caraway Seed. Are we going to start talking about <laughs> uh, looking a little bit too deeply into things? No, let's not. <laughs> no. Moving on. Moving on. <laughs> oh, Lester. Lester. Should so- we just cut to the end of the episode now? <laughs> like, moving on. Uh, nothing happens. Anyway, tune in next week. Um, What's the point of breaking things down? So they're talking about, you know, her ex. Or her soon to... Well, no, her ex. All right. She was going to dump him, but then he ended up dumping her. She's been dumped. Yep. And they're working, and then this guy Lester comes in with eggnog. Has there ever been... (laughs) Yeah. Has there ever been a positive character named Lester? Absolutely. It's such a good name for a jerk. Yeah. Because, oh, is this guy a creep? He's carrying two glasses of eggnog and wearing a hat with a light-up Christmas tree on it that keeps lighting up. It is insane. I looked him up. I know you normally do the looking up. No, please, I'm glad, because no, I didn't. I didn't have time. I don't have his name, unfortunately. Oh, my God. What did you look up? Well, I wanted to see what else he was in, and he switched (laughs) over to voiceover stuff after Ah, this. That's so funny that you said I looked him up and then said, I don't know his name, but... (laughs) I don't know his name. (laughs) But I acknowledge that he exists. He does have a good voice for voiceover, I guess. It's got a lot of character. Yes, yes. I think that was a fine career path for him. Oh, he does video uh, games like crazy. Oh no, those are mo- those are movies. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> his name is uh David Arnott or That's Arnott. It. I don't know where the emphasis goes. Uh, yeah, he does Disney. Oh, yeah, Finding Dory, Lego Move. Man, he's in, like, everything. Great Gatsby. That's what yeah. reminded me of Caraway Seed. He did an ER back then. Oh, he did a Murphy Brown. I wonder if Barnett. He did it. Snatched him up. It was a guy named Peter Boners. Oh, my God. Yeah, he was. Isn't that great? With a Z. With a Z? Well, yeah. then I was, it's definitely true. I was going to say, like, I bet his name was, like, Peter Johnson. But he was like, but everybody calls me Peter Boners. Oh, man, he's directed from Newhart. I mean, I'm sorry, guys. I fell real down the rabbit hole now <laughs> because I'm looking at the bio of director who directed the Murphy Brown episode that his guest starred. Mad about you playing a secretary in. You know. <laughs> by the way, it's a Friday night right now. We're recording this on a Friday night. That is 100 percent true. But listen, he, this he's, is what this is what's happening. He's directed since the Newhart show all the way up through Joey, oh, the wow. Bob Newhart show too, the old one. And then he started be he started being an actor. He he did a little part on Parks and Rec, Melissa and Joey, cool. which I haven't seen. But like, yeah, I mean, this guy's very interesting. I'm gonna look up him deeper later. Also, it seems like Do there it. was a TV show called Three Sisters. <laughs> I don't know what. Don't, that's. Wait, no, don't <laughs> don't look him up later. Wait until the next episode of our podcast, and then look him up, and just read everything that you see. <laughs> I am. I am doing that, aren't I? <laughs> I was hoping this Three Sisters sitcom was an adaptation of the play. That'd be fun. It's not. I don't know if it would be fun. Nothing no. would ever happen, Russ. That's true. I disagree. So Lester is hitting on Jamie. Hey, girls, have you been naughty or nice? Because I can go either way. Go that way, Lester. Eggnog? Not in the mood. Of course not. That's why I spiked it. <laughs> See, I heard Ted dropped you like a hotcake. Thought you might need a little comforting. So tell me, 
Is there anything special you'd like me to put in your stocking? How about $50 worth of quarters to whack you in the head with? Ooh. Ted said you were a tiger. Get out of my office, Lester. Do you have any plans for New Year's Eve? Get out of my office, Lester. He's so disgusting. He's the grossest. I can't deal with it. I mean, the first exchange he has with her, when she's like, I'm not in the mood, and he was like, that's why I spiked your drink? Yeah, it's like, I'm calling the cops. Yeah, I mean, that is, especially now. Like, back then, that's yeah. a gross joke, but, I mean, yeah. yeah. At least the show judges him aggressively the entire episode. Yes. Like, it knows, you know, you know what I mean? It's not, like, just, like, oh, yeah, he, he's, he's a little weird. He's the villain. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. He is the example of the anti-Paul. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, they have the same haircut a little. A little bit. Oh, very good, Russ. Very, that's a very interesting comment. Sure. But we find out there's a Christmas party going on. They haven't mentioned it till now, yep. right? Yeah. And, and, uh, right. Their office is having a party. It's going on outside. Mm-hmm. And Fran's trying Fran to... Fran wants Jamie to come. Yeah. Oh, and this is a great joke. When, uh, Fran's like, oh, come on, join Mark and me. And Jamie's like, I don't want to be the third wheel. Yeah. Francis, don't be silly. Mark will be the third wheel. <laughs> that got me laughing out loud. That's a really great joke. Oh, I mean, this whole episode got me genuinely laughing out loud a lot. Yeah. So the phone rings, and their secretary, Cheryl, says there's a guy here with her dry cleaning. And they're like, mm-hmm. that's impossible and crazy. Yes. So send him away. Well, Fran <laughs> kicks into like some kind of like badass mode where she's like, tell him if he doesn't leave, I'm calling security. Yeah. That's half badass mode and half just like that's how like no right like, this is where it's understandable but also I feel like if somebody was there with Chinese food and they were supposed to be across the street instead and they just had the wrong address right friend would be like tell them I will call the cops yes it's very neurotic in the right context but yeah because in this scene it's clear that she has the power to call security it suddenly right. becomes badass to me. It's For like, sure. Oh, friend, you can. You can call security. You call. <laughs> well, the man, of course, is Paul. Hi. Hi. See, so you're still grieving the loss of your parents, huh? <laughs> what? Beams fell on her parents in an earthquake. It was tragic. And it happened like that. Uh, what are you doing with my dry cleaning? Well, you dropped the slip last night as you hijacked my newspaper. How did you find her? I went to the dry cleaners. And they told you where I worked? Well, I, I, I told them I was your houseboy, Coco. <laughs> and they just pointed me here to this building. Did the line, uh, he told the dry cleaner he was, her, uh, he was her houseboy, Coco, stick with you when you were a kid? Did it what? There's just something about those words in his mouth that feels so right. Uh, oh, did it stick with me? I don't remember that line from being a kid, but it uh, it was it was fun in this episode. Yeah, it, uh, that line that line didn't grab me. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But you know what? Here's the thing: is that that line feels kind of Paul doesn't have a lot of jokes in this episode. No, he's incredibly earnest. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And strong and sweet and smart and mature more mature than we ever see him By and that far. line about that line about coco is more like the regular paul that feels more like a joke it feels yes. out of character for this version of himself well so maybe he, that's why it didn't really he makes a few jokes uh, throughout the episode they're just more organic that's the most extreme one i guess yeah i think i think so i'm not positive but i think so that's a very extreme joke for this <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> He tells I her, mean, Coco, he's got two K sounds. <laughs> What's he trying to do? Kill us? Um, 
Oh, we find out that the, the way he found her was he described Jamie to the receptionist on the first 33 floors of the building. And Really funny. I mean, this Fran is putty in his hands now at this point. Yeah. Oh, Fran is all like, about She Paul. thinks this is it, I think. And she's right. Yeah, she's right. Fran um, knows. And then what's adorable is Jamie's like, how did you describe me? Um, how did you describe me, Paul? Pushy. Pushy and, and pretty. You think I'm pretty? Oh, well, I'm going to go to the Christmas party. Oh, here, let me take this. Your fingers are turning white. Nice to meet you, <coughs> Paul. <laughs> yeah. Pushy and pretty is pretty great. Really great. It's interesting. You know, you know, the old Bechdel test. Yes. I mean, this whole episode, obviously, they're talking about a guy the whole time, but it still feels different, right? They're just a normal... Um, Maybe it's because it feels like their fate doesn't depend on this guy at all. They're just curious. You know what I mean? I'm not sure that I do know what you mean because I do not think about the Bechdel test when it comes to this show because this show is about male and female relationships. I don't know. There was something about the... It just felt... It felt like something you don't see a lot. The way... Even though superficially it's what you see constantly, the feeling of watching it felt different to me. Okay. I don't know if it necessarily felt different to me. It just felt really honest and good it was good to watch this episode that's true that's true oh so they go into this like fran leaves them alone because they're hitting it off so well because jamie's enamored by her the description of her at least he called her pretty so she takes the dry cleaning and she lays it down and sees the stain i hope you didn't pay them for this uh actually i did but that's okay it's not okay they didn't get the stain out what stain right there that's a stain well i didn't even see it i'm sorry did you get a receipt? Uh, no. Why didn't you get a receipt? <laughs> no, it never occurred to me. You don't know how to get a receipt? <laughs> Look, it's the first time I've ever picked up a strange woman's dry cleaning. Oh, my gosh. I love how they just go into that cu- that couple mode. So organic. It's so just great. right away, they're instantly married for yeah. five years. And she's all over them. It's so funny, busting his balls about why didn't you, why didn't you get a receipt? And it's a fun push um, and pull. Oh gosh! And then what? No, I was, I was just gonna say, I was gonna jump ahead for a second. What yeah. were you gonna say? Oh, just the push and pull. Like he went and got the clothes. He showed up. He found her. So you could say he's the mm-hmm. aggressor, but she's so aggressive too in the episode that it's really like a. They're both going for it in a way that you don't see a lot. Yes. It would be easy to look in 2017 to look back on like the courting of pop culture or reality from decades past and be like, this behavior is not okay. No means no, dude. Back off. Right. You know, don't treat her like that. Show some respect. Don't be crazy. Don't be creepy. Don't be weird. There's a million ways for that to go wrong. And in this episode, I feel like he is respectfully persistent. Yeah. In a very mature way. Yes. Yeah. For the most yeah, for the most part. The closest he comes to kind of pushing past that is when he goes to walk out of her office. Oh, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Um well he says what he says. We'll get there. (laughs) He's got a great joke where Jamie says, What would you say if some woman walked in at work with your dry cleaning? And he says, I'd say Ma, go away. See, that's the moment where I'm like, Oh, see, that's Paul telling a good joke. That is Paul Tonic. And she I laughs. like that joke a whole lot. She does. It's great. How do I know you're not some axe murderer? 
Do these look like hands that have ever held an axe? How do you know I'm not a married woman? No ring. How do you know I'm not a married woman who's just been mugged? Boy, you're making this very hard. Well, what would you do if you were at work and some woman walked in with your dry cleaning? I'd say, Ma, go away. It's a really fun joke. It reminded me of this. Maybe this is weird now. I don't know. But, like, I took an acting class once in San Francisco at, like, uh, ACT. You know, like a Saturday. Yeah. And there was a scene where, like, you know, a scene study. And one of the scenes, the guy is picking up a girl on a bench. Or a guy's talking to a girl on the bench. The teacher was like, he's picking her up. Uh-huh. And he was like, there's three steps. <laughs> he didn't say it in a weird way. But he's like, there's three steps to picking up a girl. <laughs> and they've always stuck with me. Because I feel like, I guess you're sort of right. Not in a, the game way. Just in the, like... This is what gets people, not consciously, but to, like, you have to establish you're a normal person, like, not crazy. Sure, make right. them laugh and establish mm-hmm. some sort of physical contact. Sounds like the game, John. <laughs> I guess it does, right? I was hoping, because I'll tell you, when you said not in the game way, I started thinking, I'm like, no, oh, you know what? There are psychological and clinical studies where, yeah, they look into sociological <laughs> studies where they look into relationships and how it works out. And then you were just like, here are three totally surface ways where you can tell if you're going to get laid that night. No, no, they're, it's not, they're not surface. And it's all, it all has to be organic. It does sound like the game. But the game is so weird and negative, right? I had this coworker who was like, dude, you've got to read the game. And he sent Ugh. me some uh, bootlegged version, like a PDF. A bootlegged version yeah. of the game? It's the first time I got a digital file that just you felt like it had the wear of a file that had been passed around. You know, like, bits were missing. Like, that's what it felt like. This is the grossest dude I can think of. Holy moly. Oh, sure. Yeah, he was actually, he had the same hair as Lester as well. Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) He was a bit of a Lester. Yuck. Anyway, Paul does all three organically in this scene, was my point. Yeah, yeah. Attaboy, Paul. Way to play the game. Organically. Um, Unconsciously. Yes. Um, one big thing that keeps coming up in this episode is how terrified Jamie is of being hurt again. Absolutely. It, Helen Hunt wins a lot of awards for this show. Good. And she deserves every single one of them because she is she's phenomenal. Agreed. You believe every word out of her mouth. 100%. And she just conveys ugh, such... It conveys is the wrong word or maybe it's the right you word. Bu- are you trying to say you sentence. buy her as a real person completely? I really do, one hundred percent. Thank you. Yeah, that is totally what like I like more than to say. a sitcom. Not like even like, and it's not that you don't buy their sitcoms, but when you watch her, especially this episode, it transcends. Like the whole episode, to be honestly, feels like if it was shot like a movie, it would be like, and you didn't change anything else, it would be a movie. Yeah, like it would be a Nora Ephron movie. Yeah, she gives the character such depth every single episode. Yeah, no, she's incredible. There are so many layers and levels. It's so good. Knowing where Paul Reiser winds up as far as his acting goes. And, I mean, he's pretty great here. He's but as far great. as becoming a well-rounded actor. Sure. Mr. Over, uh, the, over the course of the series. Jazz movie just, and concussion. He, yeah. Yeah. Is that what you're talking he, about? And I'm, yeah. Well, basically, I mean that. But just between the first season and the last season of Mad About You, just from working with Helen Hunt, he becomes such a stronger actor. Oh. It's awesome. Cool. I don't remember. Paul, Paul tells her that... She is pretty and has a very sexy voice. And oh that, yeah! Wait, is that after oh. he, he like? Is that after he walks out? Yeah, yeah. So like He's she's like she out. shuts him down. Yeah, very polite. Like they're they're both very like 
genial and normal and like he persists a little and she shuts it down. He's like, all right. And he leaves. And then he stops and and like next time you're crying in your daiquiri that you can't meet a nice guy. Just just remember that you met one and you pushed him out the door. You swear you told 33 people today that I was pretty? (laughs) Yes. Pretty and and a very sexy voice. You did not. Go down to 32, ask Luann. (laughs) You know, I'm, I'm really tired of you not trusting me. I don't even know you Well, I don't know you either So then why should I trust you? I could be standing on 3rd Avenue right now Selling your clothes for a tidy profit You wouldn't do that This is what I'm saying Will you tell me something honestly? Do you like Christmas parties, Paul? I love Christmas parties Jay Stemple. And that what I love, though, is after that, like that warning first off gave me like chills a little. But also, yep. I think it's a little. That's pretty gutsy to say to someone. It's a lot. That's a lot. You're making a lot. It's, it's a lot a, of leaps. It's a lot to put out there. Yeah. Yes. That's a, he's sort of, it's a lot to accuse someone of, I guess. Like I was saying before, it's the closest that he comes in this to saying something to which she could say, hey, buddy, you don't know my life. Yeah. And. That's not okay. Luckily, he's said an, enough nice things yeah, to her. Yeah, right. And has done enough nice things to have earned her trust and esteem and regard in some level that she doesn't just tell him to go to hell. And then they make it look like a joke, which is yeah. great. They devolve yeah. again into a couple. And he's like, I'm really tired of you not trusting me. Oh, gosh. That was so funny. <laughs> Made me laugh out loud they again. just met. Yeah. I'm really tired of you not trusting me. That's so funny. Uh, it's great. Oh. And then Paul gives his first, this is what I'm saying. Yes, you're right. Well. I mean, chronologically speaking. Chronologically speaking. But I guess in theory, if he's doing it now, then presumably he did it before 1989. Well, look, if we flash back again. (laughs) We do see him as a child. Oh, I would love it. I don't remember. I don't remember if they do it, but I would love that. When he's in that candy store. You remember that? I don't think I do. But I know they do. They do the weird episode towards the end where they forget about each other. Oh, yeah. Wait, are you talking about like the sliding doorsy one? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, that one's really weird. It's so cool when shows run for long enough that they both have earned the ability to experiment with the form and also are out of traditional ideas. So they're like, uh, I don't know. What if they forgot that the other one existed? Great. Yeah. Let's write that. Totally. Like the backwards Seinfeld. That was a weird one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was so weird, I forget it happened. <laughs> He's gotten her interest, and she invites him to the Christmas party. Yeah. And he's so... Yeah. Polite, like, he he's polite about it, and he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, of course. Yeah, he's great. He's very excited about it. Because you asked Paul now to go to a Christmas party. Good luck. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, not going to happen. Oh, sweetheart, I don't, uh, I don't want to go to the Christmas party. No, then we got to get a cab. Then we got to get... Mm-hmm. The, uh, then we got to go pick up a uh, mm-hmm. wine. And oh, no, let's just stay in or order pizza. Let's just... Yep. I mean, what a yep, nightmare, yep. actually, to think, you know, think about being married to that guy. <laughs> so she stays. Uh, yeah. She stays, rather. And... Uh, Next scene, we're and... at the party. So we come in, and Lester has many thoughts about Gorbachev. Yeah, he's got Paul, like, backed into a corner at the Christmas party, <laughs> ranting about Gorbachev and how Russia is, like, the future. 
and he's got that little red hat on, and he's literally like a little Trump bro. That's very true. Like he's I Carter never Page. Put that together. That's hysterical. I did not make that leap, and now it's all that I can see. I can't unsee it. He's a creep. He mistreats uh, women. Yep. He loves yep. Russia, and he's got that hat. Red hats have been the worst thing since at least 1992 or 1989, depending on which timeline you want to discuss. Right. I don't even remember what he says about Russia exactly. I don't care what the guy has got on his head. This Gorbachev is a genius. I guarantee you. Five years from now, Russia will dominate the globe. Lester, shoo. Uh, it's, it's okay, really. Sorry. Christmas! Lester! <laughs> Doesn't he just seem like the kind of guy who's like, whatever? I just want to be on the winning side. I have no loyalties. I have no yes. ethics, no moral compass. Absolutely. If somebody were to come in and start talking about how great Lithuania was, he'd just be like, hey, you know, uh, you know, it's pretty good as Lithuania. Sure. Or Syria. Better. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Look at you being, <laughs> being apt and not completely out of left field. Sure. I didn't know. I didn't know if you knew something about Lithuania that I didn't or. No, no. I was just picking a country. But cool. you know what? If there are definitely podcasts or radio shows, there are lots of things where it's like there will be curses. You know, oh, we were just talking about them on the podcast and then they died. So if all of a sudden a war breaks out between the U.S. and Lithuania. Yeah, that'll be my fault. Terrific. I'll take the heat for that. So. Oh, and then he, like, turns to the window facing the city and just, like, screams, Christmas! Christmas! Yeah. Which yeah. is also, God. to me, like, war on Christmas thingy. I take that as more like a yeah Christmas more than a boo Christmas. No, no, no. I mean, as a defense. Oh, yeah! Remember the Christmas, as right. in remember the Alamo. If I don't shout yeah. this, the war on Christmas will win. The war on <laughs> Christmas that Lester believes exists will win. Oh, my gosh. He's That's... just such a little prototype. I really don't like Lester. I don't, but I actually also love him. No, he's not even fun to hate. Oh, I think he's great. And whoever this, this Ackroyd guy is. <laughs> oh, good riddance. Good oh. riddance to you, sir. If he had a spinoff... I would be obsessed with it. Oh, stop it. The Lester Show? You'd watch The Lester Show? 100%. You're everything that's wrong with this country. <laughs> I mean, I think it would have to be tongue-in-cheek, I suppose, a little or something. Well, no. It'd be like the Colbert Report, but not ironic. But if you watch yeah, but it, no, ironic. it wouldn't because he was a character and he was he was being sarcastic and sardonic and all that stuff. He was aware Lester, if you were to watch Lester, that it would be on. If you were to watch the Lester show, the Lester show is on Fox News. Oh, you know what, Russ? That's a fair point. What? Yeah. <laughs> so Paul's being very sweet and like accommodating Lester and anyone else, and Jamie just bring. What does she bring him a drink? I forget. She comes over to him. Yeah, she goes over to him. She's checking in. Yeah. She wants to see how he's doing, and she doesn't think he's enjoying himself. Yeah, because... she says, you must be in hell. Yeah, and she's like, you don't look like you're having fun. And he says, you don't know me. This is me having fun. <laughs> Which uh, is true. Yeah. More or less. Oh, we see so many different colors of Paul in this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How often do we see him kind of like suffering gladly? Never before, probably never, never. again. Never before, never again. He really has a thing for Jamie. Yes. As evidenced by him being a good sport for the first time in his life. Which is moving. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and she's like, she's asking, she's like, have you ever been with a man? Yes. Which feels first very urban. This, right. Very, uh, man, that's a, that's a weird dated joke. Or maybe not even. 
That could be on Two and a Half Men. That could be on HBO. That's well, actually, yes, it was the... on uh, Issa Rae's show. They dealt with this. Oh yeah, absolutely. I haven't seen what's the what's the what's the thing in the show. Her friend is dating a guy, and it comes up that he was with a man, and she dumps him. Wow. Yeah, I stand correct because they're swapping stories. And she, you know, she talked about being with a girl once. And he was like, you know what? This one time, long time, you know, and then uh, she's like, ah, uh, okay. Oh, so she was with a girl and then he says, I was with a guy and she dumps him for it. Oh, sure. And then it, beca- you know, it really becomes a whole funny. thing. Sure. Very contemporary still. What's the name of the show? It's a race show. Yeah. Sorry to put you on the spot. Oh, uh, what is it? It's not unscripted. It's not unscrupulous. Un. There's a you in it. I swear. Are you uh, sorry for doing this? Very much. Do we want to make this a sweepstakes? Insecure. Insecure. That's it. (laughs) Insecure. I would have liked that sweepstakes. Write in and tell us what this show is called. I'm here. Do you hear me? Yeah. What happened? Okay. I don't know. Anyway. So, uh, do, 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 do. Oh, so then, uh, then Fran enters with Mark. Yep. Who introduces Paul and Mark. Yep. And he's got a mustache. He has the fakest fake mustache you ever did see. Oh, you! Ha- I, of course, you hate the mustache. I totally hate this mustache. He looks like a villain. He looks like um, not Snively, but uh, you know, from Wacky Races, the bad guy. Yes, Snively Whiplash. I don't know if you're making a joke because I don't remember his last name. I think that's what his name is. Oh. I'm not making a joke. Then perhaps. <laughs> yeah. It's hard to know if someone's sounding sar- if someone's being sarcastic when you're discussing a. Uh, Wacky races, racer names. That's funny. It's I also a, like the idea of like me having put the fear of God into you, where it's just like, Russ, are you being sarcastic? Everything you say is a cutting comment to make fun of me. <laughs> I, it's uh, yeah, guys, our relationship's a minefield now. <laughs> uh, but Mark comes in with this great monologue. This is Paul. Hey, you're right. They do look good together. (laughs) I understand you two, you met at a newsstand and you tracked her down all day? No, it's fantastic. It's fantastic because she was so depressed. And now this, this is fantastic. Thank you, Mark. Hey, I'll tell you what, Paul. We love this girl. And I love you too, Mark. Fran, get him out of here. (laughs) Come on, honey. They want to be alone. I feel like everything he's saying is just so clear that the second uh, he showed up to the party or whatever, Fran just dumped everything on him. Yes. Everything that's going on. She showed up. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Jamie's found a guy. This guy came up. Here's what he did. Yeah. You get both the objective things, but also like the Fran opinions. Like they look good together. Yep. Yes. Oh, and I don't think you get the objective things. I think that every single thing is is franned up. I guess you're right. Yeah. Her filter and her lens is a thick one. You are right. And Paul is also... So then, je- yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that Paul echoes Selby in his discussion oh, of first dates. Sure. Because then it's his turn to say, what's wrong with first dates? They're like an adventure. Uh-huh. Which is what Selby said to him earlier. Mm-hmm. So he's, uh, he's twisted things around a little bit. and He's coming around. Or at least he's very clever. Or at least he's very yes, he's he uh he can't think of things on his own and is cribbing his friend's comments. Uh so they leave, I guess. And Paul Paul and uh Jamie walk over to the food area. Yes. And he's eyeing the cheese. Right. And oh gosh. And there's this great yeah, great little bit here where yeah, where Jamie's just saying, I wonder when I'll see the real you. And Paul says, Oh, not for a long time. And then he immediately says I'm uneasy with starting a cheese. I'm uneasy with starting a cheese. (laughs) Excuse me? 
I figure you got a nice, perfect triangle here, so who am I to ruin it? You always this reckless? Oh, yeah. I come from a whole family of daredevils. My sisters both went to school out of state. <laughs> so you have sisters? Two. Yeah, me too. Oh, that's funny. Well, actually, one, but she's sort of a split personality. I didn't even notice the first part. I don't know how. The fact that it's right back to back with its, uh, its Or like I didn't connect the dots or something. That's perfect. Yeah. Just like, I'm, yeah. She says, I wonder when I'll see the real you. And he just says, oh, not for a very, very long time. And then he's like reaching for cheese at that moment and kind of saying no. And then he says the most insane thing you've ever heard. I'm uneasy with starting a cheese. That is so oh, good. It's brilliant. It's great. The whole cheese thing, though, is a lot of... Do you, do you think that would turn someone off in real life or no? What, somebody being uneasy with starting a cheese? Yes. Or is it charming? Um, I guess it depends on the person. It depends on the person. I think it is weird and specific enough. If it was like... If it was, oh, I don't... He doesn't like cheese. That's like, I can't be with a person who doesn't like cheese. But if it's like, I'm uneasy with starting a cheese, it's like, what a weird thing. I could get into that. I want to know more about you. Sure. That's a strange little quirk. I guess we're both guys who like Paul Reiser, though. That's true. Because also, I can relate to this, and I am also uneasy starting a cheese. Or I used to be. Now I don't, I don't care. I wouldn't say I'm uneasy with starting a cheese, but it also feels very much to me like being the first person to go for dessert at like oh never a departmental you know oh we're having cake, cake oh and cookies. never yeah and the person who's hosting it has to say like five times everybody please eat there's food here yes and everybody laughs and nobody moves yes that's what this feels like to me yeah and then i i'm usually the one that goes for it oh yeah i mean look because be i can't polite. take it i can't take the awkwardness yeah yeah. You know what I'll also do We're sometimes doing... is uh, just sort of like be missing. Say again? You do what? I'll just like be missing during it. And then I'll show up a little late. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. I mean, thankfully, my current job doesn't do that. My old job every time. And I'd always, you know, I'd take a stressed out thing. Like, oh, I'll, sure. I'll, oh, I'll be right there. You know, I can't take the awkwardness my... of like office cook cake. My job, they made me. Because I'm good at public speaking, they made me the MC oh. for like for departmental birthdays and stuff, or not even birthdays, but like retirements or anniversaries and that sort of thing. Oh, they're monsters! And this was a while ago. They would also like have me research, like what happened during the year, what was the price of a loaf of bread, what was basically they what had you me working do, in a nursing uh, home. The, nobody cares about these things. What was the price <laughs> of a loaf of bread? Uh, like that look that's a bad example actually it was closer to what we do it was basically proto mad about mad about you because it would be like oh here's what was on the billboard charts and the number one movie was so and so right they asked uh, me to do but, what we're doing basically yes basically who was killed you on the corner say... 20 years ago <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh they get mad at me though because i would be like oh uh peter jackson the director of the uh, Lord of the Rings movies was born. And uh, also in that year, the guy who played J.R. passed away or like dumb, bad oh, examples. Russ. But they'd be. Yeah. They'd be like, what are we talking about? Who died? So I would be like, I would spin it. I'd be like, OK, so Peter Jackson was born, which is very good. But also Larry Haglin was born that 60 years prior, and we all know what that means since I'm bringing him up. 
now. <laughs> and so that was how I would get to talk about who died without Larry Hagland death was born on the I'm, same day he died. No. Am I being confusing? I'm sorry. Let's say that we were talking about the year 1994. Russ. Okay. Well, I think you might want to keep deaths out of this. <laughs> out of these you podcast conversations. I think it's bringing everyone down. John, you're absolutely right. And I should definitely keep it out of my anniversary speeches because I don't do that job anymore. <laughs> and, uh, the question is, should we be tracking bread and milk prices on the podcast? Tweet at us. Yes, let us know. Without question. <laughs> okay. So. Oh, Fran grabs Jamie and is like, well, you need to come hear the boss's Rose Bowl story. Oh, yes. That if you want to get ahead here, you have to hear the story. And then she says this yep. great thing. His ass is right under the mistletoe. <laughs> Which I didn't even totally register the first time I watched this one. I don't think I did either. That's very funny. So just now? Yeah. Yeah, it's so... I'm on board. It's so good. It's so rich. Uh, no, right. I took it as his, he's under the mistletoe, and I thought, what? who cares? Yeah, I was like, oh, there's that. that's where yeah. he is. Which that's is how location. an idiot takes it, I guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm an idiot. Yeah, I'm a, I heard it like an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> so she leaves uh, to go, you know, cater to her career, and Paul's alone now. So he just he sort yep. of walks over. We hear um, Christmas carols playing lightly underneath, and it feels very Christmassy. And sure. he walks over to the wall, and there's this ugly painting hanging. And he, he just touches the frame, and the whole thing falls and lands on the table beneath it. Yep, 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 yep. And he... Who doesn't touch a painting when they're alone in a room? 100% of the people would do that. I can't it's tell. It's a very it. real thing. It is, right? No, I'm being... I'm being very, very sincere. Yeah, it is yeah. real. Isn't that weird? Idea, it's a very strange thing where if you come up to a wall and you see a painting yeah. on the wall, just be like, I'm going to touch that frame. Yeah. You want you want to be a part of, you want to touch artistic creation. Maybe. You could say anything. I don't know why the hell we do it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't either. How often do you get to touch dry oil? <laughs> but the painting falls in right, wait, pol- I'm sorry. Are you- are you asking me personally, or are you talking about the royal you? <laughs> it was rhetorical. How often does one get to touch dry eyes? Right, yes. <sighs> so it falls, and he, like, books it in the opposite direction. Yep, yep. Which is and such a part into, thing. really very silly, he runs into Mark, uh-huh. who's come back in, and Mark is on a reconnaissance mission. He's there to get information about Paul. He's there to grill him. We don't know that yet, though, right? Or do we? No. They have a brief exchange. And then it comes clean and pretty then, quickly. And then he says, hey, look, so I'm here for a reason. Yeah, he always caves. What's your deal? How yep. much money do you make? Which is so bold. These have to be friends. Obviously, these are friends questions. Yes. I mean, these are like yes. background check. How much money do you make? Owner, rent, smoker, drinker, ever been with a man? Yeah, they come back to ever been with a man. <laughs> and then, oh, wait, no, but and then I think Paul, yeah, Paul turns it back around on him. Well, yeah, Paul's ever like, been with let, me, a man? let me ask you some questions about Jamie. Well, let me ask you something. What's the story with her? Oh, with Jamie? Yeah. Oh, Jamie. Jamie's great. Yeah, yeah. Grew up in New Haven, went to Yale. Ever been with a man? Who, me or Jamie? <laughs> Mark, what you do, it's your business. Hey, come on, look. I'm a married man. Although, once, once I, I, I had this dream about Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. So we find out she uh, she's from New Haven. She went to Yale. And uh, yep. Paul does the ever been with a man joke. Yep. And Mark is like, me? 
And then he, we find out he had a dream about Pierce Brosnan. It's really shaken him up. It really has. <laughs> and Mark, oh, though Mark also tells uh, Mark tells Paul uh, that he thinks uh, Jamie likes Paul too. Yeah, yeah. Which is what he heard from very, Fred. very sweet. Very, yes, he's 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 uh, the third party in all of this. Yeah, in everything, again, in both ways, in his own both life. Ways. Yeah, in, in his a own way. life, in a way. Oh gosh. No, in every way. That's very astute. He is a third party in his own life. Uh, um, so we cut to the next scene. We're in Fran's office. Yep. And, and Fran and Jamie have gotten his bio. Yeah. They've gotten Paul's bio. From the Director's from, Guild. Yeah. He, uh, he won an NEA grant in 1980. That's he gets his money. For that's most, how he has his money. Oh, are those huge? It's enough. Russ, 1980. Was it 1980? Yeah, and this is 1989. And in the show, was, it's 1992, so... I was so excited. Forget it. I don't... <laughs> I thought that I'd cracked the code. I mean, how old is this documentary filmmaker? It's a start. self-sufficient. It's a start. It's a start, yes. It's a good start. 1980, most promising filmmaker true. at NYU. Yep. Because he got the good movie Ola. Yeah. Oh, thank God we're talking about the movie Ola again. He got the good movie Ola. Ugh. Because he I woke up early, I can't with you. so that he knew he would get the good movie. He woke, he woke up five minutes early. Oh. <laughs> In order- let me tell you. Let me tell you something. A quick aside. So this past weekend, two days ago, I tried to get tickets to see Sunday in the Park with George on uh-huh. Broadway. Okay, I woke up. I got online. Tickets go on sale at ten o'clock in the morning. I got online at six thirty. Ooh. I waited outside for three and a half hours. How busy I got was to the it? front of the line. When I got there, I yeah. was the 31st person in line. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh, you People had to like have spent the night. You didn't have a chance in hell then. Well, it's not certain because okay. I didn't know. there. A, first of all, there were two shows, and you don't know how many tickets are available. That's true. Two shows Saturday. That was a good call. Yeah. Well, not good enough because I did not get tickets. Oh. Um, so, yeah, I waited three and a half hours. To not get tickets. Now, this story is two-pronged because the girl behind me got online less than one minute after I did. So I was like, at this pace, this line is going to be completely enormous. Oh, yeah. That being said, I missed out by maybe like, I don't know, probably like 10 people, maybe a little bit more than that. Wow. Yeah. At no point, though, was I like, I overslept. It was like, no, they got tickets. I did well, that's because you didn't miss out by one. I bet the girl, if you got a ticket and the girl behind you didn't, she would have said I overslept by two minutes. Mm. I don't know. No case. Dismissed. No case? No. Dismi- Fair enough. Okay. No. My experience is invalid. Thank you, John. In- no, well, uh, no. I won't deny that you had the experience. I will completely say that your interpretation of it is wrong. <laughs> oh, man. So. Oh, the film freaks. Like, so uh, they're going through his bio and when she finds out he's a filmmaker, yeah. Jamie's turned off. I knew it. It's always something. I never do well with creative types. What about that poet you dated down on Jane Street? Monroe? Maybe the police were wrong. <laughs> hey, this, look at me. What am I doing? I don't want to get my hopes up again. What do I always say? If you go into a store, assuming they don't have your size, you come out with nothing. He thinks I have a sexy voice. He's a nice guy. And he's cute. He is, isn't he? Yeah, and he gets a little twinkle. I know, I know, I know. He's so cute. (laughs) A day at Barney's wouldn't kill him. I know. But he's good raw material. Yeah. She she doesn't want any more artists. She's spooked, for sure. Oh, she's so Because of Monroe. Damage is the wrong wrong word, but she's been hurt. 
Yeah, damage is a very judgy word. It is. I take it back. I apologize. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to say damage. I meant to say she has daddy issues. Does everybody hate me now? (laughs) Um, (laughs) Those aren't even the same, are they? No, they're not. I'm just ticking off horrible men. Yeah, yeah, I'm being a real Lester. Yeah, you're being a Lester. Absolutely. (laughs) Oh, but Fran sort of talks her into Paul. Like, you know, clearly she's not. She's kind of, she's freaked out. Yes, but Fran is very into him and very, she sees the good. Yeah. They think he's cute. They think he's a lousy dresser. Yeah. Oh, and she uses this term. She's like, he's good raw material. Good raw material. Yeah. Which is such a good line. Look, I was about to make a joke about how uh, they're talking about a person as though they are uh, parts, and that's not a very cool thing to do. But how often do you hear women talk about men that way? Sure, absolutely. You know? Rarely. I think men are often breaking down women and judging them X, Y, or Z. True, true. I mean, this whole episode feels like a Nora Ephron movie. That's true. Condensed into 20 minutes. Yeah, it does. I like it. Like at that level I too, like, not just like alluding. Like it's uh, some of the the characters and the writing and the, like the more poetic parts are just wonderful. Very very well done. Yeah. So we cut back to the party. Bravo. Lester's back with Paul and Mark is in the corner and leans over, dastardly with that mustache, and asks, "Have you ever yeah, watched oh. what? No, keep talking. Have you ever watched Remington Steel? That's funny. <laughs> it's on his oh, mind. Pierce Brosnan." He's under his skin. Mm-hmm. I put my hand up just now, and what I realized was when you said you used the word dastardly, and that's his name, right? I'm Dick Dastardly. I Dick Dastardly. That's I knew when I said it. I was like, oh, that's it. But Dick Dastardly and Snidely Whiplash are somehow related. I'm yes. not positive how. I think they were both on Wacky Races. Oh, and they both. Yeah. Wait, it's, Snidely. They, they play similar roles. Yes, and that's different. The dog is Snively. The dog is Muttley. Muttley. Yes. Okay. Yes, I do remember. And I don't remember the difference between snot. Sm- yeah, I gotcha. It's a classic whiplash dastardly conundrum. It, it is. If it, anyone wants to tweet at <laughs> us the difference, sweepstakes. Anyway, <laughs> I love that this is a recurring thing for Mark, though, because just a week ago he was talking about Omar Sharif. That's right. And what an attractive man he is. I wonder, like, look, Richard Kind is one of those dudes who, when you Google them, when you just Google Richard Kind, one of the autocorrects has to be Richard Kind gay, question mark. No. You don't think so? You think? I feel like that goes just for, like, super famous people always. That may be true. Oh, well, that may be true. Also, and he's not Richard Kind may not that. be. Yeah, I think that's what I was going to say. Yeah. Oh, so we finally meet Mr. Gantz. Yes. And he's handing out Christmas He's telling bonuses. his Rose Bowl story. Yeah. Oh, that's right. By hand. What a guy. Who does... I mean, that is dated. Because that yes. is insane. <laughs> he's got a good thing going on. He's, he, it, You know, the interpersonal relationship of a business is very important. Indeed. Yes. I guess in this field, it's all about... It is all about... Flesh in the flesh. Yeah, uh, uh, that is right. Uh, Mr. Gantz is played by... A uh, soap actor, which doesn't he just oh, have really? that vibe? Yes. Like, completely. Now that you mentioned it, absolutely. Yes, a soap actor named Wayne Tippett. He was on Guiding Light. Okay. For, oh, you know what? I don't know for how long. I don't know. Okay, maybe he wasn't a soap actor. He was in a lot of stuff, okay? Oh, oh, you're not on trial here. Relax. He was in a lot of stuff. Everyone get off my back. <laughs> uh, he was on Seinfeld. Dare really? I tell you which episode? I wish you would. 
I sure. Oh, well, maybe you promised I, not to yell at me. Uh, no, but uh, it was called the Secret Code, which it was Bosco. I remember, but I don't remember anything that happens in that episode. Do you? I remember uh, she dies. Who? The person saying Bosco. Oh yeah, Peterman's mother. Yeah. So, yeah. So there's someone named named Captain. So we all remember him from that. <laughs> Let's see what else. Oh, he was in a diagnosis murder, little Matlock. Hey, he's in the movie JFK. Oh, okay. Oh, and Taps with Tom Cruise. He's famous enough to get gay, question mark, at the end. (laughs) But not Richard Kind? No. That's a slap in the face of Richard Kind. I mean, I agree, but, you know, this is society talking. You're right. Yeah, so he's... So tell me about this Rose Bowl story. Right. He's going on. Mark wants to know the, the story. Even though it sounds like, I mean, I think he just told it in the other room, right? Yeah, Mark's heard it before. Mark's just doing work, I guess, for Fran. Sucking up as a good husband. Yeah. Plus, I get the feeling that Mark is the kind of guy who could hear that story. He loves the story. He could hear it a million times. Fran tells me you once played in the Rose Bowl? Ah, yeah, yeah. New Year's Day, 1950. (laughs) It was cool in California. 63 degrees. Right. <laughs> uh, we were trailing Cal by a touchdown. I mean, uh, psychologically, we were beaten. And just before halftime, Arthur Dworkin twisted an ankle. And that's when they moved me over to first trombone. That trombone reveal is so funny. Yeah. But I also feel like the audience misses it a little or like takes a second too long. It's possible. It's uh, It's funny. But it's also just like, oh, you were... Yeah, I guess but it's I that laugh. kind of laugh. <laughs> yeah. It slayed me. It's like, I'm sorry. I just really dumbed down the the math of jokes and why people laugh at things. Oh, you subverted my expectations. And so you expect me to laugh at it. Oh, ha, ha, Yeah, ha, people are like, yeah. Like, yeah, that's yeah. why people... Yeah, that's why people laugh at things. 100%. That's what, fu- that's what, that's what comedy is. So Jamie grabs Paul to save him from Lester, and she mm-hmm. wants to get out of there. And yeah, and Paul says, I want to take you everywhere, which is pretty great. Where do you want to go? Oh, just everywhere. Everywhere? That's what I'm feeling. I just I want to take you everywhere. Listen, I'm, I'm not looking for a relationship. Yeah, but what would you do if you found one? <laughs> Ask me out right now. Come on. I'll buy you dinner. Where do you feel like going? Uh, any place near me. That way, if it doesn't work out, you don't have to spring for camp fare. <laughs> yeah, it gave me chills. Yeah. Yeah, when they get serious about love and passion, it's uh, they're, they're good at it. God, they're such a good freaking on-screen couple. I can't stand it. Nor Afron, baby. Ugh. Oh, it's also the writing. Good oh. stuff, man. So they're leaving, and Jamie wants to go someplace near her place so that she can go straight home right after, right? Right. Uh, oh, no, near his place. No, near her place. Yeah. Well, they. long story short, they learned that they live right across the street from each other. Yeah, and not only that, they were paying very close attention to the continuity, and I'm pretty sure that he gives Jerry Seinfeld's address, right? You know, I didn't notice, but I'm sure you're right. Yeah, I'll 129 right. West 81st Street. That's it, right? That's crazy. And she lives at Good 182. Job. Good job, writers. Wait. Crossing every T, dotting every I. I don't know why I wrote 182. One, I'm sure I don't know. Yeah, because that would be another block. Not even. Hmm. Listen, they said it right. I heard it right. I don't know where she lives across the street. Okay, what do you want from me? I'm not, I don't. I don't work for the city. I don't know all the addresses. Fine. Will everybody please get off John's back? <laughs> I don't know why I'm so defensive today. 
You're making him very upset. This is my friend. <laughs> so Jamie walks over to say goodnight, uh, and her boss is in the middle of like the story still. I'm just going to say a few quick goodbyes. It was the Rogers and Hammerstein medley that turned it around for us. Good night, everybody. Uh, Merry Christmas. Uh, Jamie, uh, have you heard my Rose Bowl story? Yes, I have. I told it to my family. Yep. It was the Rogers and Hammerstein medley that turned it around for us. I mean, this is where the oh, bit really man. takes off, I feel like. Yes, yes. Then it gets fun. It is one of those great bits where the... The first reveal isn't as funny as where it goes. Yes. The fact that it's still happening and we keep on checking in on it. Yeah. So we come back to Fran's office and Jamie and Paul come in to get their stuff. And yep. Paul says he's going to take her to Melons. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, ooh, I wonder if that's uh, JG Melon, which is on the Upper East Side. But then maybe there was one on the Upper West Side. I don't know. At the time. I don't know. I don't know this, I don't know this place. Oh, it's a great old burger joint. And he mentions burgers a bunch in the scene. Yeah. So I thought, maybe. Why not? Let's pretend. Sure. So Jamie says she needs to tell him something. I I thought about you two last night. And then when you found me here today, it's like it was too good to be true. Now you seem to be this nice guy. I I can see why you're troubled. Realize if this doesn't work out, I'm going to have to blow my brains out. It's good. So as long as there's no pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't want to be disappointed again. I'll do my best. Okay. Here's your scarf. Hmm? Oh. Honey, could you take this? Do you remember this from the... Uh, did you have the album? Which album? The show album. Yeah, the soundtrack? Yeah. I got the soundtrack before we started recording the podcast, and I have not yet listened to oh, it. Oh, well, you'll recognize this clip. Oh, yeah? Is this in there? Oh, sure. Cool. You'll recognize a lot of clips, actually, obviously. We should do... We'll we'll do a... Um, if and when we need another mini-sode, we'll, uh, we'll listen to the, the album. Yeah, we'll next time I screw up and fall behind, we'll listen to the album. Great. Perfect. It's a date. Yeah. Uh, look, it's conceivable that I might be the one to screw up. Uh, yeah. Probably not. Doing what, though? I don't know. I, uh, mil, uh, one of a million. That's the problem. I got all the mission critical stuff. <laughs> That's true. If I, if, that is true. If I get hit by a bus, there's no show going online. There's there's no show anymore ever. Oh, my goodness. Um, You'll figure let's, it out let's, eventually. Let's, I don't know if I will. <laughs> Plus, I'll just... I'll just be like, oh, so what happened? Uh, what was on TV the day that John got hit by a bus? That's all that I can talk about. I'd appreciate that. That's sweet. That's sweet. That's sweet. For those who don't know, a very Russ, special episode. Russ's uh, only computer is, uh, I think, I think a Windows or a, what an IBM ThinkPad from like 1995, 96. It's it's a word processor with the uh with the smart card. It port. is so old, uh, guys. It's not so. It's old. not so. It looks like an antique, and I can't believe it works or does anything. <laughs> it's got a crank. It it gets the job done. Yeah. Um, but this is you know Jamie just sort of laid it all out there for him. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. She gives him the lowdown on her, yeah. and 
So then they leave, and Paul picks up the dry yeah. cleaning. Oh, she she well, calls yeah, she him says, honey. Yeah, she says she says if this doesn't work, I'm gonna have to blow my brains out. And Paul says no pressure. Yeah, right. And then she just kind of says, "I don't want to be disappointed." Oh. And Paul just again sweetly says, "I'll do my best." Not making any promises, but he gets it. Yeah, I'll do my best. And then yeah, on their way out, Jamie says calls Paul honey, and then sweetly just kind of negates it. So she hits the lights. And mm-hmm. he turns around, he sort of takes the city in. Yep. And he gives this great speech. Look at that city. That's beautiful. That's a beautiful city. Can you imagine how many, how many millions of people there are out there that you're just never going to meet? Think of the people in this building you never meet. Can't believe you didn't know Luann. <laughs> Boy, it's funny. You know, because like, there are people that even if you didn't... I thought it was a great speech. And then the second time I heard it, I was like, it's not that great a speech, but he delivers it so well. She's caught up in the moment, as were we all. Because really, he's saying a lot lot of nothing. He says, that city, what a city. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Imagine all the people we'll never meet. And it's just like, yeah, we, we, we're not going to meet a lot of people. It doesn't stand up to scrutiny. Well, it's a romantic sentiment. Sure. Especially for a, Maybe not. a native New Yorker. What if in that scene, like if that were real, somebody like he said all that and then somebody just burst through the door and said, OK, I have some notes and just noted him on on his speech. What? That may be nothing. Oh, ah. you're looking for something like uh, Charlie Kaufman-esque yeah, sitcom? Basically. I see. Yes, yeah. sure. Charlie Kaufman. Yeah, sitcom. you're looking for a Schenectady, a Synecdoche, New York uh, type S- moment? Synecdoche. No, that, yeah. excuse me, that makes me so crazy. When people say the name of that movie <laughs> is Schenectady, New York? No, it's it's not. It's not. It's a pun on that, but the word that you said was Synecdoche? Yeah. It's pronounced Synecdoche. Oh, really? Yeah, which, <laughs> yeah, which is why it's a pun. Oh. Uh... Oh. It's a, a a term in yeah, English. Yeah, figure of speech in which it's a part a, a is made to represent the whole uh, and or I'm vice not, versa. I can't recall what it means, but yeah. I'm, I'm telling you. What? Oh, did you cut out? I did. I literally <laughs> I literally just read the dictionary definition. That's very funny. A figure of speech. Sorry, everyone. I got to reread this for us. <laughs> a figure of speech in which a part is made to represent the whole or vice versa. As in... Cleveland won by six runs, meaning Cleveland's baseball team. There you go. That's Synecdoche. Synecdoche. Yes. Wow. Well, I guess I've been being made crazy for nothing, except my own ignorance. You're learning things learning things here at the Zero Hour, buddy. Thank you very much, Russ. I feel very enlightened. Well, good. Oh, I'm going to be using this word all week. I hope you do. Uh, please do text me every time you use the word synecdoche. Oh, I will. <laughs> yeah. We'll, I'll, post uh, those to, we'll post those to Facebook. I'll hit you. Do it. I'll hit you. So, Is that a synecdoche? I th- it doesn't matter. If you said Cleveland hit Russ for seven runs, uh, then it would be <laughs> synecdoche. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, Jamie, of course, caught up at the moment, uh, grabs him and kisses him Yep, in a very aggressive way, which is also, you know, uncommon or unconventional, especially for the time. And again, yep. so Nora, Evroni, 
pretty great. I think just because she was unconventional for the time. And that she was. It's also a real bummer that we're just like, really, all that's happening is it's a good romantic comedy. And the female lead is taking charge and making choices for herself. And we're like, you know who does that? Only one other person. Nora Ephron. No, but it's not just that. It's also New York and like, but yeah, no, you're right. I'm sure. I'm sure that the New Yorkness has something. But it's yeah. not like I could. I, it's not like my brain is filled with names of people doing it in other cities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give me the give me the three people whose names you're pushing out of the of the way in order to think of Nora Ephron in New York. Oh, the the uh, Nora. That uh, doesn't. I can't. Boy, guys, using a connected to key is hard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, You'll get there. So, oh, so they they go to head out after the kiss, and Paul goes back to just grab the dry cleaning, and he sees the little printout of his bio. Yep, and very cutely calls her out on it as he leaves, and that's yep. the end. And then we have a little tag end of the episode. I like that they're already forgetting things in rooms, which is a thing that uh, continues. Which I know oh, is like that's what happens. Ross, that's so good. But yeah, that just, no, yeah, you're hey, right. You, I forgot this thing. Yeah, the whole show though is. So far, it's just them, like, every episode almost. They're always coming back into the apartment and going back out and coming back. And I, you're right. That is life, I guess. It's life, but, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's a nice little moment that feels familiar. I mean, they build this relationship in, like, 20 minutes. And I know that we know that they're already together when it starts, but there's so much new stuff. Yeah. Like, this episode doesn't take that much advantage of stuff we know, which is why it's nice. Right. And then we, we come out the on that earlier. That it's like, what? No, I was going to say the one thing that I'll say is I'm interested in what happens because we got on, found out on the Thanksgiving episode, the three dates in, Jamie decided it wasn't going to happen. Right. Yeah. What so happened? I want to know. Yeah. What, what happened between now where they are perfect for each other, clearly, and three dates in that made her be like, this isn't going to work. What, what was going on in that second date? Great question. Probably we'll never find out. We probably won't. <sighs> I like it. I like it too. Well, that's. That's the way the episode ends. Wait, there's and a great I... tag. Oh, please tag it. He's still doing the story. <laughs> I had 100,000 people on the edge of their seats. When I played a six-bar solo from South Pacific, it brought them to their feet. <laughs> it was halftime. We were forming the letter C. And that's when Barbara Bierman blindsided me with her tuba, split my lip. It was after that that uh, I knew I could never go pro. This is a fantastic story. This is fantastic. Tell it again. Mark is loving it. He eats us up. Everyone, as he's telling that story, everyone that, that like it starts with the whole company listening, and then slowly they all just start walking away. And Mark stays <laughs> till the end, and then literally goes, "Tell it again." <laughs> oh gosh, Mark, you big weirdo. Also, though, I, I get the jokes, so. but why? Like, he's always citing show tunes. Yeah. Like the Rose Bowl. Yeah, I don't know. Like the Rose Bowl is just like nonstop show tunes on the sidelines instead of fight songs. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It, I mean, look, Rogers and Hammerstein and, and, and show tunes and whatnot, those are all popular in pop music back then, too. Fair. But I don't know if it would be like, we're going to also transfer it. To, we're going to arrange it for marching band, and that is going to be the only thing that we play. That's how we're going to focus everything. Right. Or all the most dramatic moments. Right. Oh, man. Well, we did it. We did it. Merry this was Christmas. a long one. Merry Christmas. I got you a podcast, John. 
Oh, no. Me too. I got you the same thing. Oh, but that's terrible because in order to afford the podcast, I had to sell my headphones. Oh. Oh, wait. Oh, no. Oh, no. I made you a podcast. That's what it is. <laughs> oh, no. In order to... The... Oh, no. Wait. I... Uh... <laughs> you sold your ears. No, you I was going to sell my off. mic. I think. <laughs> That makes more sense and is less gross. No, but it doesn't. We'll we'll workshop it. Oh, I got you. Uh, I got. Oh, <laughs> uh, don't worry about it. Oh boy, you know the Schenectady <laughs> is so ingrained in my head now. I can't even do. Uh, uh, what's this Christmas story called that we're very horribly parroting? The gift. The of gift the of the Magi. They're tough to come up with on the spot. Uh, Cleveland gifted John Marbley seven runs. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Anyway, well, uh, call it. That brings, yeah, that brings this episode to a close. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you, everybody. Please rate us. Please review us. Please talk to us at Mad About You Pod. I am at Russ Fader, F E D E R. I'm at Johnny Marbles, no H. You can see me. I'm on a new musical megawatt team performing on Tuesday nights. You can see me then and there at the Magnet Theater, 29th and 8th. You can also see me the first Saturday of the month. Performing in the sequel. I'm sorry, the first Friday of the month performing in the sequel. It's a lot of fun. And you can't see me anywhere. Can't. You couldn't if you wanted to, nope. which you do. I'm like, uh, wow. I'm going to kill nothing. Charlie Kaufman. Now, who, who, yeah, who's uh, Gloria Swanson playing in Sunset Boulevard? Is it Gloria I, you know, Swanson sure. even? Is it Norma Desmond? Norma Desmond. I'm like, Norma Desmond. Ugh. You need a nap, buddy? Yeah, you know, also, everyone, just so you know, I'm coming off the flu, okay? That's true. You are sick. I'm like Norma Desmond, except I was never big. <laughs> oh, gosh. So, our logo is by the wonderful Mr. Nathan Diffie. Our greatest theme song in the living world is by Mr. John D. Ivy. Thank you to both of you gentlemen. John, rest up. My name is Russ Fader. I'm John Marmley. And this, this is, is what, what we're, we're saying. saying.